When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Basically, we're out of money. That's why today, in order to sustain Ukraine as it, as it continues to fight, I'm sending Congress a supplemental budget request. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We all expected this order would be a bit slower. They have tried to make the case that this is a Putin price hike that has fallen flat. Inflation has gone up every month that Joe Biden has been president. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Surprise, surprise. The economy contracts in the first quarter. And President Biden asks Congress for tens of billions to fund Ukraine. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As we join you again from Bloomberg World Headquarters in New York, we'll zero in on today's GDP report and consider the political implications as Congress makes its plans for the rest of the year with Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst at Raymond James. Later, our conversation with Bharat Ramamurthy, Deputy Director of the White House National Economic Council. Also, GDP, of course, on the agenda and a major effort to help small business at the White House today that we'll be talking about. Senator Joe Manchin wants to make a deal on energy and climate. Are we really doing this again? We'll talk about it with our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Kind of surreal to see the word contraction on the Bloomberg screen this morning, watching surveillance for what? GDP drops unexpectedly, 1.4%, coming in below all but one estimate in a Bloomberg survey, but it had much to do with a trade imbalance than anything, certainly was not due to consumers pulling back. So it's kind of a counterintuitive story here in a way. Then again, one more of these and we fulfill the definition of a recession, right? This morning I asked the Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, who's joined us on Balance of Power, if that's a concern for her, if she's reading into this any further than this quarter. Here she is. If you look at small business starts, um, they're higher than ever. Wages are up. You talk to CEOs about their businesses. They, you know, the economy's resilient and growing. So at this point, uh, obviously, you don't want to see this. You know, it's disappointing. You never want to see it. But we weren't surprised, and I don't think it's a trend. Okay, a trend one quarter does not make, which means the Fed keeps hiking. 
So nothing to see here, move right along, or is there? Let's talk about it with Ed Mills, Washington Policy Analyst and Managing Director at Raymond James. I'm guessing, uh, Ed, this is not the number that you or your firm uh, was looking for here. It was a bit of a shocker, but also people don't seem to be terribly concerned about it, considering why when you look under the hood. Joe, when you look under the hood, um, you know it certainly tells a different story, but when I look at this uh, from a political angle, uh, I'm reminded that in politics, when you're explaining, you're losing. Yeah. And so uh, if you do have two consecutive quarters, uh, you mentioned the R word. Mm -hmm. uh, here in DC, the R word is uh, great for Republicans uh, because uh, Biden has wanted to sell the Biden boom heading into the midterm elections. Um, and this really changes the conversation, uh, even if it's not true. Um, the rhetoric here really is what's going to matter from a political perspective. Well, let's let's hold on to that view for a moment, because, you know, the president didn't get out of the Roosevelt room without a question on the economy and a, p a possible recession. He was there, of course, I'm going to ask you about this, Ed, to, to commit tens of billions more to Ukraine. But as the questions came, number three, number four, he was asked about this, and the president didn't seem too concerned about a recession. Here he is. We need this bill to support Ukraine in this fight for freedom. And our NATO allies, our EU partners, they're going to pay their fair share of the cost as well. But we have to do this. We have to do our part as well. The cost of this fight uh, is not cheap. But caving to aggression is going to be more costly if we allow it to happen. He was talking about Ukraine there. I don't know if we have the other one, uh, Ed. But the idea uh, in his response was it's not likely that we move into recession, much like we heard from his Commerce Secretary, uh, Gina Raimondo. Uh, is that a hopeful view or is it one you share? Well, that's the view he has to have. Um, you know, the president has to be a cheerleader for the economy. Uh, the president has to kind of highlight some of the economic indicators that on paper have been really positive in terms of uh, where the consumer is. We've seen through earnings seasons, uh, some of the banks kind of highlighting the balances in individual checking accounts. Uh, but the problem politically has been um, what it looks like on paper versus what it feels like for the average American. And so where this is politically problematic for the president and for congressional Democrats is that uh, Americans, uh, by a pretty sizable number, already are saying that this country is on the wrong track. Mm -hmm. And if the economic data then changes to support that view, those are just more political headwinds that the president and congressional Democrats are facing come the voting time in November. This all comes against the backdrop of inflation and uh, a, a pretty aggressive Federal Reserve at this point. We're looking for a half point next week. There's talk of of 75 basis points, maybe at the meeting after. Ed, does this report today do anything to change your expectations on that front? Joe, it doesn't. I do think that uh, because of how you highlighted, um, you know, kind of the beneath the hood aspect of this, um, you know, that doesn't change the trajectory of the Fed. Um, and I do think that that overall is going to continue to put pressure um, on you know, consumers as they look for mortgages mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of pocketbook issues. Um, there is a hope that the Fed's tightening uh, does uh, tame inflation. I think the debate that I've had with clients um, as I've been uh, on the road uh, here at Raymond James this last week has been uh, once the inflation indicators come down a little bit and we get some new confirmations 
uh, on the Fed board. Mm -hmm. How hawkish uh, will the Fed be able to remain? Uh, but near term, this doesn't change. And Joe, uh, for the party in charge, that's a problem. Let's talk more about the requests that he made. You just heard uh, President Biden from earlier today. $33 billion is the number. And from every lawmaker we have spoken with, this gets passed without even really, it's almost a blank check. There's so much bipartisan support uh, for funding Ukraine in this war uh, with Russia. The question that I will have beyond does that get passed, Ed, because it seems to be a yes, is what's attached to it? Are, are we going to try to attach COVID funding? Is there going to be a conversation about Title 42 uh, supplemental for Homeland for the border? What are you hearing? Joe, you're exactly right to bring this up because uh, there is no doubt that there is overwhelming support for this package for Ukraine. It's really just a question of timing. Uh, you've already seen congressional Republicans come out and say, uh, if the COVID relief package gets added to it, uh, it could sink both packages. I don't think that's the case, uh, but Republicans do like to, uh, or prefer to have this as two separate votes. That's not an issue in the House. The House can pass anything. Uh, but to get this through the Senate, you mm -hmm. do need a bipartisan vote. You do need those 60 votes. On the COVID package, that's more likely than not to still happen. Um, but the vote is going to have to take place on Title 42. We had a judge this week strike that down, yep. which is going to put even more pressure on Democrats uh, to vote uh, to keep Title 42 in place, uh, keep um, the you know, pandemic restrictions on uh, asylum and uh, kind of refugee seekers in the United States mm -hmm. on the other side of the U.S. border. So politically, this is going to be a tough needle to thread, especially in the Senate for Chuck Schumer. And the more time you spend on this is time that you're not spending on other priorities, uh, such as reconciliation, which um, Democrats really do want to take another run at it. So every day of floor time, is a day away from other priorities. Right. That's the bigger issue. Well, that reconciliation idea, and I know that they wanted to make another turn and, and still might this year, that, that option is available, but it may not fly if now Joe Manchin, once again, <laughs> the wrench in the works here, he wants to come up with a deal that gets bipartisan support and does not require reconciliation. Uh, Ed, it would be some sort of mix of energy and climate. I don't think we'd call it Build Back Better or Make America or whatever. It would have to have a new brand and a new marketing campaign. But if that's what Joe Manchin wants, I'm assuming he's not playing along with this reconciliation idea once again, you think? Yeah, Joe, that's not going to happen. Uh, it's not going to so, happen. I mean, we're, yeah, it's, it, it's um, kind of more and more, we're seeing kind of from conversations here in D.C., the Biden administration uh, being concerned whether or not they can get Manchin to a table. Yeah. Uh, I do think that part of this is, you know, fully energy specific. You, you know, he has a chairmanship and, and a gavel where he wants to have a process, at least in his committee. It's been shocking to me that they have not kind of listened to that desire for him to shape this package. Mm -hmm. uh, if they get reconciliation, if there's any legislative package, it is going to be first and foremost an energy package, some healthcare provisions, uh, maybe a couple of other uh, smaller scaled down versions of social spending. Uh, but you know, the more they kind of don't listen to exactly what he's asking for and don't move in that direction, that's a step away from getting yeah. 
anything done. Why not just have him write it? I mean, didn't we already see all of this? We saw this movie last year. We already know the ending. It doesn't play well for the White House, Ed. Yeah, I think that the thought from the White House was uh, as much as they needed to have some hard-fought wins in getting him on board, uh, because of the voice of the progressives was pushing and, and Senator Sanders, chairman of the budget committee in charge of the process, started off at $6 trillion. Yeah. You also had to have hard-fought losses. Um, and um, you know you had to show that they were standing up to something mm -hmm. uh, to show the Democratic base what was not achievable. I think they spent too much time there and didn't recognize that Manchin was going to hold as firm as he was. Right. The inflation picture, the economic picture has only worsened. Uh, so they, they missed yeah. that window. Well, if we'll they want to get something done, we'll it's, see if we repeat history again this year. And we'll talk to Ed about it. Great to spend time with Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst at Raymond James. We'll assemble the panel next. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. As we bring in the panel following a really fascinating conversation with Ed Mills about the chances of real anything happening in Congress between now and the rest of the year, certainly in the conversation about Build Back Better, the sequel, and whatever stripped-down version we might end up with here. We're going to be talking about this in just a moment with Bharat Ramamurthy, the deputy director of the White House National Economic Council. They've got a big event going on over there today for small businesses trying to unlock resources for small business that we'll talk with in a moment. Deputy Director Ramamurthy, uh, welcome to Bloomberg Radio. It's great to have you here. I'm going to ask you about this small biz uh, event that you're hosting at the White House today. Looking forward to hearing about it. I'm just curious to get your, your first reaction, though, to our GDP report today. Was it startling to see that word contraction on the screen this morning, or did you see it coming? Well, I think that a number of analysts had predicted that because of some technical quirks and how the data is collected and analyzed, that we would uh, have the possibility of seeing a number like that. I do think that if you look under the hood of today's report, what you see are uh, continued signs of a resilient economy. Mm -hmm. You see very strong consumer spending. You see very, very strong business investment. You see very strong residential investment. Uh, the reason that 
uh, it went negative are uh, kind of more volatile data about trade and right. about uh, inventories. And so uh, if you take a look at the big picture here and get past the headline, I think you continue to see evidence a very strong economic recovery that, by many measures, is the strongest economic recovery of any leading economy in the world. Well, that's certainly how the market seems to be taking it, and our analysis here at Bloomberg uh, would would align with what you're saying, that, you know, in, in one instance, we had ships lined up, as you well know, uh, Barat, at, the, the, at ports up and down the West Coast. A lot of those ships came in, and so we had a massive trade imbalance here. Is there a chance that that might happen again in this quarter? Well, it's, it's hard to predict, but I think your main point is correct, which is that part of what you are seeing here in the data is that some of the supply chain issues that we were grappling with for a significant chunk of last year coming out of COVID are starting to resolve themselves. And one of the things that the president is proud of is that working with business groups and labor, he was able to push the ports of L.A. and Long Beach to yeah. stay open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, massively incre- increase their throughput. And you know, we're starting to see some of those effects. And in the data, I think on the whole, it's a good sign for Americans that they're able to get their imported goods on time and uh, in an efficient way. Um, Does that but, mean inflation is going to start coming in? Is that is is this happening as you were hoping? Again, if you look at outside analysts and some other projections, inflation by many by many accounts is predicted to uh, to temper and go down over the course of this year. Of course, there are many unpredictable things uh, that could happen. I think. If you look at the data that we have before us right now, there is very clear evidence that, number one, the U.S. economic recovery uh, is the strongest in the world. Number two, if you look at IMF projections, the economic growth that's projected through the end of the year puts the United States number one among G7 countries. Number three, household balance sheets, by many measures, have never been healthier, not for 30 years. You look at debt-to-income ratio, the ability of folks to pay off uh, credit card debt and other debt. Families as a whole are in very strong financial position, and that creates a good buffer for our economy. You were a member of the COVID Congressional Oversight Commission, which oversaw the, the Treasury's management of stimulus from the CARES Act. You hear people now, I'm, I'm sure, Barat, as I do, blaming the stimulus for overheating the economy. Are they right about that when you look back on decisions that were made then? I think we were dealing with a highly uncertain and uh, and cataclysmic events. We, we, look, sure. we saw unemployment reach levels that hadn't been reached since uh, the, the Great Depression. And under those circumstances, policymakers uh, overall, I think, had the right approach. Let's get money into the hands of families, into the hands of small businesses that need yeah. it. Go big and was the line look, then. Yeah, and if you look at the quality, the, the strength of our recovery and the speed of our recovery, uh, that paid dividends. I, I just want to go back and, and put people... Uh, in the position that we were in mm-hmm. before this president took office. And the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office was projecting that we would have unemployment uh, about 5% for years to come, and that we wouldn't reach 3.6% unemployment uh, for many years from now. Instead, we reached 3.6% unemployment uh, a couple months ago. So uh, that's made a really powerful difference in a lot of people's lives. Uh, long-term unemployment can be very scarring for folks. It's bad for families. It's bad for the economy. Sure. We avoided a lot of those negative effects. But you and see I it as a necessary cost to, to getting out of that crisis. As we spend time with Bharat Ramamurthy of the White House National Economic Council, which he helps to run as deputy director. Uh, Bharat, how are you helping to unlock 
resources for entrepreneurs in this time. We talk so much about inflation. You and I are right now. It can there can be a lot of challenges to starting a business. I know today that you're you're holding a major event for small business at the White House. Uh, to, to actually talk about the president speaking about this, what he refers to as the small business boom. What can you do to help somebody who's trying to start a business in this economic climate? I think what the report that came out today shows is that uh, looking at 2021, the first year of the Biden presidency, uh, a, an unprecedented historic number of Americans started new businesses. In fact, it was 20 percent higher in 2021 than in any prior year on record. Yep. Uh, it was 23% higher for Hispanic entrepreneurs, and, and it was similarly a record high for black entrepreneurs. And so we're seeing entrepreneurs of color really getting in the game as well. That's a and, good story to uh, tell. Bharat Ramamurthy, yeah. I wish I had more time with you. Deputy Director of the White House National Economic Council on Bloomberg. I'm Joe Matthew. Thanks for being with us on the Fastest Hour in Politics. I'm Joe Matthew at World Headquarters in New York, and we've got our signature panel as we hope to have on days like these when the president is asked about a recession. And that is what happened today after he announced the, the big ask for Ukraine, $33 billion. We discussed that with Ed Mills and it came with a bit of questioning. I don't know if the communications office planned this, but the president was asked about the GDP report today. The chances of this may be happening twice. Here he is. Have to be uh, take a look and no, no one is predicting a recession now they're predicting their summer predicting there may be a recession in 2023 what why did he i'm not sure why he said that uh rick davis Jeannie shanzano with us uh rick is that the answer you would have advised him to no talk about putting a punctuation mark on yeah. otherwise bad news right uh nothing yeah, to worry about today not. but next year could be awful yeah, and, and why go there? Um, why try to predict a recession when you've, you've actually got some underlying good news to talk about today uh, in the GDP numbers and stick to the positive? And uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe this was just another Bidenism. We've seen this before, and we're going to see it again. Jeannie, are we going to get a recession in 2023? I hope not. <laughs> and, and, you know— We're going to get one in 22? You know, let, let's hope not. But, you know, I think the problem here is exactly what you and Ed were talking about. Anytime you have to explain this, I can't tell you how many people I heard today— ad nauseum talking about, well, go beyond the headline and look under the hood. You know, those kinds of metaphors are, are disastrous politically because what they're saying is the thing that people are seeing and hearing and feeling, don't worry about that. Pay attention to this complicated thing, which explains why everything you're feeling is wrong. I mean, to a certain extent, it's like the difference between macro and microeconomics. I go buy hamburger. It's expensive. You can tell me unemployment is, you know, good. The number is good, but it's meaningless to me. And that's where I think the president has to really get to. He's got to talk about, I feel your pain and we're here to address it. And this is how, you know, I know that that's an uphill battle is yeah. the how, but he's got to say he feels people's pain because right. you look at the polls, there's a lot of pain out there. Well, that's supposed to be his, uh, his, his strength, Rick, is feeling your pain. Isn't that the Joe Biden you know? Yeah, Uncle Joe. I mean, empathy is his strength. And, uh, and, and yet, I think he's been disconnected from the economic population since this administration started. Um, he's great on natural disasters, which I, I hate to say that, but uh, he, you know, he's responded well to them. Yeah. But, uh, but on these economic issues, he just, he's just seems to be forgetting that people are impacted by this. It first started 
you know, when he would ignore inflation. And now he's kind of throwing recession out there as a as something that's going to happen no matter what the administration does. Jeannie, as you consider uh, the messaging around this this GDP report, does the White House need to prepare people for more bad news this current quarter? They seem to be going out of their way to talk about the upside on this. And Ed Mills did, too. I mean, look, consumers are still spending. There are, are still real signs of strength in our economy, despite what the markets have been doing lately and despite the impact of this war. Yeah, and, and I think you can do both. I think surrogates can certainly say, here's the flip side of this. Look at there are positive signs. This isn't the whole story. That's fine to say. At the same time, they have to do both. They have to say, we know why the latest Gallup show, poll showed four in five people rate the current economic conditions as fair or poor. Those are big, big numbers. So yeah, say what's positive. Say why you got to look beyond the headlines, but acknowledge the pain people are feeling and tell them how how you're going to make it better. That's what they've got to do with just a few months before the midterm. Well, how can you make it better, Rick, when if, if this is a global story? I asked Gina, uh, Gina McCarthy, Gina Romando about this uh, earlier today. If this is supply chain and COVID, that's why we have inflation. That's what the administration tells us. Add the war, that makes it worse. Uh, do we run the risk of causing a recession, Rick, or how, how likely is it that the Fed causes one with interest rate hikes when this is this is a recession or an inflation that's being prompted by different factors than they have really ever dealt with. That's right. And, and we knew going into this cycle that it was going to be the fight at the Fed between the guys on growth and the guys on fighting a, a inflation. And and look, I mean, the chairman's a growth guy. I mean, so you got the right people at, at the at the helm. Uh, and but you're right. It is a it is a global story. And part of it is this lockdown in China. I mean, like you talked about Omicron and how that impacted us in the first quarter, the war in Ukraine this quarter. Um, but but there's been a tremendous impact to the global economy by a self-inflicted severe lockdown in China that is definitely going to affect the supply chain that has been so difficult for us. So. Um, uh, the fact that the country's weathered the storm as well as it has is mm -hmm. actually remarkable. It does little for the policymakers to say that, but frankly, I'm sure the Fed is looking at this and looking at these numbers saying, wow, this is great. We've still got growth. Um, yeah, right. And I think they will manage uh, their part of the portfolio uh, to ensure that that growth continues. Well, the question, I guess, is what is that growth still going to be evident after a, a half point next week? 75 basis points, apparently, the meeting after that, Jeannie. I mean, this this will at some point uh, have uh, a heavy impact, I'm assuming, on consumer spending. It's got to work its way through the economy. And boy, I don't know, does that happen right around November? You know, the worst timing, and that's what we keep hearing, you know, it, it, the recession is not imminent. But look, you know, a few months from now, people are saying one year from now. Mm. And even to have the president out there today, you know, while he's, you know, saying he's going to ask Congress for $33 billion for Ukraine, he's answering questions which get him into to talking about a recession potentially in 2023. I mean, the juxtaposition of those two things is really problematic for this White House. Mm -hmm. The money is needed for Ukraine. But you can bet people are going to start to ask questions. This is a lot of money when the president is at the same time talking yeah. about a, a recession next year. Rick and Jeannie still with us ahead as Joe Manchin swoops back in just in time to save the day. We'll check markets on the way. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. 
Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Welcoming back the gentleman from West Virginia to the conversation. Joe Manchin's making news again. I was just reading he's on the outs with the White House. They didn't want to bother each other after the whole Build Back Better fell apart. Now he's got a plan, and it's bipartisan, he says, to avoid the use of reconciliation, even though it's likely Democrats will do that at some point. This year, as we discussed earlier this hour with Ed Mills at Raymond James, there are opportunities, and you don't just walk away from them in politics. But Joe Manchin has an idea here that you get a couple of Republicans on board, you call it bipartisan, you don't have to use reconciliation, and it's narrow. Energy and climate. And he's got some people listening here talking about a new look at leases for drilling and more broadly helping to bridge the gap between the world we're in now, burning fossil fuels, and a world we'll eventually be in with renewables, but doing it in a way that doesn't cause, well, $100 a barrel oil for the whole duration. Here's Senator Manchin today. We need a two-path system, okay? You have to have the, uh, the uh, climate, and you have to have the reliability of the fossil. Those two will cross sometime. Could be five years, could be ten years, or whatever. You can't eliminate one before the other. If not, you end up like Germany. You end up like Europe. The problem they're in. But is it going anywhere? And can he get enough Republicans and holds enough Democrats to make this happen? I wonder what the White House thinks about it. As we reassemble the panel, Rick and Jeannie are here. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano. Is this the kind of thing that at the White House they're all getting under their desks right now, Jeannie? Or, or is it good news that they can work together again? You think it would be good news, but I think so many people at the White House and so many Democrats, quite frankly, feel frustrated by their dealings with Joe Manchin that they aren't willing to go there. I mean, you look at the latest that just Bernie Sanders, and again, unlikely he would have gone there anyways, but but what he has to say, you know, talking about, you know, sort of... Um, the, the idea that he felt torpedoed and the idea that this is no way to behave as a colleague, that this was arrogant of Manchin and Cinema, yeah. you know, those are the kind of words, you know, burned is what you're hearing. So, you know, 
I, I do think it's a long shot to think you could get something done. I mean, uh, do I think they should? Absolutely. They should take what they can get and go forward. That means Mansion and Cinema have to be on board. But but it mm-hmm. doesn't seem at least that they have the will to do that in the next few weeks. Rick, are you rolling your eyes or is this actually the kind of development that you're looking for to get Congress working again? Yeah, I was kind of expecting a couple things. One, Manchin has been against so many things. You knew he was going to come up with something to be for, right? You can't you can't be Dr. No in the Senate forever. And so I'm sure he sees this moment where the Biden administration, always a foe of fossil fuels, has now had to go out to the industry and say, give me more, give me more. We're desperate. And And so, you know, I think he wants to try to embed that into something that he can bring Democrats along with by pairing it with, with climate. Mm. And, and this administration's done very little with climate so far. So he's kind of hitting the seam. It's not going to last forever. Yep. Uh, a lot of it is tied to these global events in the Ukraine and Russia. But um, I think it was smart on his part to at least have something out there where people could react to him sure. rather than him reacting to this administration. Well, certainly good for him. Uh, does the White House have to make a choice, though, Rick, between this and using reconciliation to do really some pretty similar things. No, they don't have to trade anything. Um, they should they should have the the attitude that let a thousand flowers bloom, right? I mean, like yeah. we've got ideas, you've got ideas. Let's see what gets sticky. Um, they they right now they, their number one thing is in you know like we were talking earlier inflation and 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 getting that under control. That's what's the political uh, requirement. But all these other issues, domestic issues, healthcare, all the things that this administration promised they should they should be encouraging every member to come up with ideas uh either through reconciliation or through regular order like manchin is talking about of course and a lot of progressives where they go a lot of progressives genie want to see this president use executive action more to get this stuff done like don't even pick up the phone just write the document you know, buy yourself a Sharpie like the last guy and make it happen already. Yeah, and, and this is what we've seen politically in the modern era. The problem is, of course, that the executive actions are more limited and they're more easily overturned both in the courts and also if Joe Biden isn't president in, you know, 2024 or 2028, whoever comes in, they're easy to overturn. You're far better off moving this through regular legislation. And, you know, I think one thing that Joe Manchin could get on board with and, and, and move forward with, and certainly the White House could, is to talk about moving on the LNG plants in terms of something like security. Hmm. You know, this is something they need to do as we look at what was happening in Poland and Bulgaria the other day, potentially Germany and Italy. Those are permanent already. If the president could fast track some of those, they could get certainly a lot of bipartisan support on something like that. It would be skinny. It would be a skinny energy package, but it would be something to hang their hat on. And it would be a positive in terms of the economy. I haven't had a chance to ask you both about the Ukraine request. Does that $33 billion uh, go through with, a, with an easy, clean vote, Rick, or is there going to be a lot of stuff attached to it? We're hearing about COVID funding. Uh, we're hearing about Title 42 funding. We're hearing about a lot of things right now. Yeah, well, that Title 42 is part of the executive actions that the Biden administration is taking that the progressives wanted and are a disaster with the public. So be careful what you ask for. Mm. Um, this $33 billion should go through literally before the end of this week mm. if it's not tied to COVID funding or any of these other issues. Yeah. Uh, if Schumer's smart, he declares a win, uh, gets his money moving, and controls his caucus to not try to attach these additional COVID funds. Uh, and 
and he can get something done really quick, and the president will look like he's got good leadership, and it'll give Zelensky a win, and it'll drive the Russians crazy. And, of course, that's what we love to do is drive the <laughs> Russians crazy. To watch it pass without a blink of an eye here. But, Jeannie, this might be their only opportunity to get that money. I mean, you've, you do have some Republicans involved. Well, I guess by the one by the name of Mitt Romney who helped to craft that deal to get at least half the money that the White House is asking for for COVID. Yeah, you know, but, you know, you're talking about the terms clean and the U.S. Congress I know, today. I'm out of my mind. I don't mean to make you laugh. This is the comedy yeah. portion of the broadcast. You're, you're very optimistic. And, and, you know, God willing, it would go through. We heard, you know, that we know that the president is saying, you know, put it through, you know, by itself in a clean way, as you say. Um, but I, I can bet that they are going to try to attach a lot to it. And it is going, you know, anybody who thinks this thing is going to get through in a week, I hope it yeah. does. But that is an up uphill battle in this Congress. People are going to be adding a lot to it. And it's a big ask. It's double what has been asked before. It's needed, but there's going to be things added in there. We spent some time uh, earlier talking about the mansion on the hill. And I've got to ask you guys about this story. Once again, another take on the potential, the possibility of Joe Manchin switching parties. This one comes from the duo that wrote the book. Uh, the two New York Times reporters wrote the book that, that exposed the tape with Kevin McCarthy, Jonathan Martin, Alexander Burns. Apparently, at least this is their reporting, uh, Joe Manchin uh, told John Thune that, that he would, in fact, consider switching parties if Thune became majority leader. Today, he shot that down. Here's what Joe Manchin said. These are all my friends on both sides of the aisle. John Thune is a most decent human being, a good friend of mine. Uh, but no, uh, they know where I'm at, and Mitch McConnell knows he's tried everything humanly possible. The bottom line is I am... Uh, West Virginia Democrat. I'm not a Washington Democrat. Jeannie, what does that mean? What's the difference between a West Virginia Democrat and a Washington Democrat? You know, in Joe Manchin's you know, world, it is somebody who sticks to their guns despite being sort of ostracized from much of the energy of the party on the left. Um, mm. But of course, you know, why would Joe Manchin at this point switch? He's got all the power. He's the person everybody oh, is right. talking about. It would be, you know, the height of insanity to switch now. Maybe another time, but right now he's got Washington in the palm of his hand. Is Jeannie right on that one, Rick? And as a Republican, would you love to see him maybe just step over a little bit closer? Yeah, uh, look, I'd love him to be a Republican. A West Virginia Democrat is a Republican. That's just code. <laughs> and so okay. um, I think I think that uh, it'd be great for him to be here. But, but that agenda, uh, the McConnell agenda, would be to just stop everything that Biden is doing. And I do think there's a part of Manchin that wants to get something done. And he knows the only way he can get something done is with the full backing of the Democratic leadership in the White House. They yeah. still have the numbers to pass legislation and sign it into law, and the Republicans can't give him that. Maybe I should have asked you first, is John Thune ever gonna be majority leader? Uh, sure, uh, he decided to run for reelection, which was not a, uh, a, a, a certainty uh, at the beginning of this year. And Mitch McConnell, you know, uh, nobody knows how long he'll wanna serve as majority leader. But that's, uh, but, that's the but succession Thune, plan. That's the succession plan. What does that mean for Chuck Schumer, Jeannie? You know, um, <laughs> Chuck Schumer's got to keep the Senate if, if he wants to be majority leader. Um, and, you well, know, a minority it, leader, though. I mean, I mean does he does yeah. he keep the job in that instance? You know, I, I think he likely will. I'm not sure. There's a lot of other people that are, you know, vying for that right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's it's a hard year. And, and I think, you know, 
Chuck Schumer has had a really, really difficult time. He's had some wins. We got to give him that. Mm -hmm. The you know, you know first majority leader from New York in history, but he's had a tough time in the last year. He's got a couple of tough weeks ahead of him as well. Great conversation with Rick and Jeannie. Rick, good luck with everything this weekend. They've got the big Sedona Summit kicking off at the McCain Institute. Jeannie will be back with us tomorrow, and I'll meet you here as well on the fastest hour in politics. From World Headquarters in New York, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.